Good evening. It's good to have you here. And uh, we are continuing on. We're, we're taking four messages to explore some parts of the Christmas story that are probably familiar to you. But we're looking to do it in a way that hopefully brings out some more meaning. And tonight we are talking about the shepherds. And I love the story of the shepherds. I've imagined what it would like to be a shepherd. But it probably wasn't like, like this. Wait, 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 wait. Someone has to watch the sheep. What are you talking about? Someone has to watch the sheep. They're sheep, okay? They, they eat, they poop, they sleep. They'll be fine. Let's go. That is the same thing that you said when you wanted to go see the Mutton and Sons concert, and we saw it, and we lost half our flock. We Angel lost half Sam! Angels, they just popped out of the sky, and instead of sprinting to Bethlehem, you're all like, no, we, we got to take care of the sheep. What about their abandonment issues? Hey, guys, I'm going to race you. Okay, last one there is the stinky loincloth. Let's go. Look, okay, the angels are there, okay? That, that's what they do. That's why we call them guarding angels. No, 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 it's guardian angels, guardian. Tomato, tomato, who cares? Why are we still standing here? Someone needs to watch the sheep. You know it, I know it, and the sheep know it. Sheep don't feel. You can't prove that. Fine, there's only one way to solve this. Rock parchment shears, loser stays with the sheep. Rock parchment shears, shoot! Rock parchment shears, shoot! Rock parchment shears, shoot! Today, today, in the town of David, a savior will be born unto you. Right. Why did the angel say that? Why did the angel tell a bunch of lowly shepherds about the coming of the Messiah? I mean, why us? I don't know why us, but they did. So maybe, maybe this Messiah didn't just come for, for people that matter. Maybe he came. Maybe he came for people like us. Which is all the more reason why we need to go. I know. And I want to. It's just a lot to take in. It's been a crazy night. Hey, did, did you see? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you see how fast I was running? Over there, I was like a lightning bolt. But, um, no, you guys are never going to believe this. Um, I forgot my good cloak. <laughs> Can you imagine me meeting the Messiah without my good cloak? <laughs> that would be ridiculous. I can't even. I'll see you. Let me bottom line this for you. I, I, for one, cannot not go see this Messiah, okay? So if what you're saying is that I, instead of seeing the man who's going to change everything, have to stay here and sheep sit, well, that just won't work for me. You're right. You're right. But before we go, I'm not trying to nitpick, but you said cannot not, and that's a double negative. It is. Promise me when we go meet the Messiah, you cannot not talk like that. Promise me you won't talk like that to the Messiah. Promise me. Promise me. He's a baby. He's in swaddling clothes. I don't think he's gonna care how we do. Mm. Okay, fine. Me talk pretty. Let's go. Wait. I think I just solved our problem. 
What are you guys still doing here? What, what are you waiting for? It's the king of kings. Okay, so less standy, more runny. Frank, take a knee. Okay. We were playing rock parchment cheers. Oh yeah? You lost. Oh. Oh. Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the genealogy of Christ, and last week we looked at uh, King Herod and our desire to be little kings ourselves. And tonight we're going to talk about the story of the shepherds. And we find the story in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it tells us this. Now in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this story, familiar to many of us. Maybe for some of us, we've heard it, we've read it hundreds of times, thought about it many times. But my prayer tonight is that as we uh, unfold your word, that you will take us deeper, that you will teach us wonderful, beautiful things about yourself, about your son. And that you will make the good news, your gospel, known to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we're talking about uh, these stories. And when we think about this story this evening in Luke, we understand that uh, Luke was not one of the disciples of Jesus. He was a physician. He came along a little later. He, he researched. He, uh, he interviewed people. And undoubtedly, he probably had many more stories about the birth of Christ than he recorded. And so the, the question we often ask is, why include this story? What did, why did God have this put in the Gospel of Luke so 2,000 years later we could think about it, talk about it, and, and ponder it? Well, I want to consider this working from the end of the story back to the beginning because I think there's some things we can learn this way. And the first one is this, that we, we need to be those who, like the shepherds, listen to God deeply. So I want to talk about this idea of listening intently, listening, listening deeply to God. Going on in the story in verse 15, it says, Now when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the, the shepherds receive a message, and they receive it from angels. So again, we, we can only imagine what that would be like. I, I've never seen an angel. I don't know that you have. I've never received uh, a message from one, but it, it very powerfully impacted these men as it often does in Scripture. And, and we can see that they are in awe. Uh, in fact, they are, they are filled with fear at the beginning. And then there's a, an immediate response to action on their part. They go, they find people, they share with others what the angels shared with them, and they, they go home glorifying God. Going on in verse 16, it says, And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. That is the message that they received from the angel. And in verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So the shepherds are, are powerfully impacted uh, by these kind of awesome, fearsome, angelic messengers. Again, we can only imagine what that would have been like, but, but everyone else in the story, right, they received the same message, but they received it from, from mere shepherds, not from the angels. In verse 18, it tells us how they received the message. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And this, this word wondered has the idea of, of, of admiration. Uh, they're, they're marveling. They, they're wondering at what they heard. Listening well. Listening well is, in general, a very, very important life skill. It's a life skill that, at least according to some, um, one gender in particular doesn't really do very well. In fact, I saw this post on Facebook yesterday, and yeah, I thought that was actually <clears throat> pretty good, pretty, pretty accurate. I, yeah, just let it wash over you. Uh, and so I can tell you that, um, that as a husband, I would admit to you that this has been an ongoing issue in my marriage, and that is, I will just, so I'll just confess to you, and that is my frequent failure to listen well to my wife. I, so I told the story at, at, at nine o'clock, and, and then at 11 o'clock, my wife came, and, and everybody was telling her before the service, you know, oh, what do you hear what Bob says about, you know, how he listens to you, and then, and then afterwards, she said, that's it? That, that's all you had to say? You didn't, because I have to admit, I, I don't, like, I listened to her, and I've learned and guys, you, you probably do after a while. I've learned to put down the phone, to, to close the computer, and, and to look at her. Uh, but I have to admit, I can't tell you how many times where, you know, I'll ask her, hey, honey, what, what are we doing tonight? Or, or what are we doing that thing tomorrow, whatever? And she'll say to me, guys, you know what I'm, she'll say, we just talked about that last night. Weren't you listening? Or sometimes, you know, we just talked about that, you know, half an hour ago. Weren't, weren't you listening? And it was so fun this morning, I can't tell you. This is the general reaction, right? Like wives would look over at their husbands real slowly. And I noticed like husbands just look down. <laughs> they, don't, they don't look up. They don't make eye contact. They just kind of, they, they kind of look down, right? And, and, and when my wife asked me, and she does, in fact, it, it happened today. And she said, weren't you listening to me? And I think an accurate answer would be yes and no. Right? Like I, I, I listened to you. I mean, I remember having the conversation, right? but I didn't really listen well. I didn't, I didn't really let it sink in. And, and, and we need to be people who listen well. And we find this going on with the angels and with others in the story. One of the things I have in your notes this evening is this, that we need to beware of being distracted by the quality of the messengers. This is a kind of an interesting thing that we see in this story. So the shepherds got to hear this announcement from angels. It, it's, it was probably riveting. It was probably impressive and, and just awesome for them to hear this message from an angel. But everyone else had to hear the same message, but from ordinary shepherds. Right? And it would have been easy for them to just dismiss the message altogether because shepherds were uneducated. Shepherds were considered irreligious. Uh, they, they had no social status. They, they were not eloquent of speech. They were not impressive people. 
As one writer put it, the authors of the Bible got divine inspiration and visions and revelations and miracles, but we just get a book and imperfect human communicators. Right? And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. that. And this is a challenge, I think, in our society when we come into church, is that we live in a society now where we are continually inundated with engaging media and YouTube and, and TED Talks and podcasts. And my family and I, we were out to dinner the other night. We were at this really nice, a very nice restaurant. And we were sitting there at dinner and I looked around the restaurant and I couldn't see any two people who were actually, literally everybody in the restaurant was on their phones, right? Because there's so much engaging media that's just coming at us all the time. And this is impacting the church as well. You know, churches have become accustomed to, to big productions and worship services and you know, they're, they're looking for the lighting and the, we have a, a, some friends who moved down to Phoenix not too long ago and they wrote me and they said, you know, we're looking for a church and we went to this church and you can't believe it during worship, they use fog machines. Fog machines in the church, right? And they're like, they have laser lights and all of this stuff and, and, and churches now with celebrity pastors, you know, who have podcasts and write books and they have lots of hair on their head and, and you know, and celebrity worship leaders that sell millions of albums. And, and, but the, in, the reality is that in the average church, the average pastor is not so spectacular. He's flawed. He's, he's bald. He, he talks too fast. He hates cats, right? Some of these things, he's not perfect. What do we do with that? We'll consider even in the Old Testament. I love the, the story. You know the story? There was a prophet who was, who was going sideways, who was, who was erring, and, and God wanted to speak to him. And so God used a donkey, a donkey, which makes me feel like, so I have a chance. You know, <laughs> when, we, when I teach it, God can use anyone. Here's the point. The messenger is not the message. We need to be careful not to write off biblical truths just because they come through unimpressive shepherds, through unimpressive messengers. Sometimes people during the summer go on vacation, they'll come back and say, oh yeah, pastor, we're on vacation, we went to another church, you know, we listened to the sermon, and sometimes people say it, and I, I think they're trying to be complimentary, but they'll say, oh, but pastor, it wasn't like here, like the sermon was so boring, and it was so long. And I've, I, I've learned to say like, well, okay, but was it biblical? What, what, was it true? Did, but you listened anyways, right? <laughs> right? Because it's the word of God. It's truth. And see, not really listening well is bad for human relationships. It's not good for marriages, but it can be devastating when it comes to our relationship with God. Because the Bible is an infinitely valuable treasure worth more than the greatest wealth of this, of this earth. In Psalm 19, it tells us this, that more to be desired are they than gold, speaking of the words of God, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. So beware, beware of missing out on it because of the flawed character of the messengers. So the people listened, they, they wondered, even though they were just hearing it from shepherds. But another interesting thing is to look at the way that Mary listened. We, we talked about this in detail last year at Christmas time, but I want to mention it again. There are two words that describe how Mary listened to the words of, of mere shepherds, of flawed, irreligious people. In verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up these things. What things? The words that the shepherds had spoken to her, and she pondered them in her heart. The two important words here, the word pondering, 
It's talking about what she heard from the shepherds. And the, the word means to put something in context, to, to, to connect the dots, to, to really think it through. To not just hear something, but to think. How does it connect to life? To look at, to look at the Bible when you read a verse from Scripture and say, what does this mean? How does this tie in with the rest of Scripture? What does it reveal about God? How does it fit into my life? It's not just to hear Scripture, but it's to, it's to ask questions. It's, it's to, to ponder it, to dwell on it. In Psalm 119, it says this, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I like this idea of unfolding your words gives light. It doesn't just say looking at it and moving on. It, in fact, the unfolding aspect reminded me, when I, when I first moved to Washougal many years ago, like a quarter of a century ago, uh, when I came here, um, you know, there was no Google Maps at the time, and so I bought a Rand McNally map. Anybody remember, like, the old, the old maps, and you'd, right, it just, it looked so, you know, like, helpful, and then you'd have to unfold it, and you'd unfold it and unfold it, right? And you'd have to pull over on the side of the road because it took up the whole dashboard and you'd have to figure out where you are. But the more you unfolded it, the more you kind of got the scope of where you are and where it is that you wanted to go. Of course, you could never, ever refold it, but that's another story, right? And this is kind of what he's saying here that even a very simple Bible verse, even a story from Scripture that maybe you've heard 100, 200 times, like a story like the shepherds, but when you ponder it, when you ponder it, when you dwell on it, 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 God can begin to reveal multiple levels of meaning and, and, and blessing. Now, I was thinking this week, one of the amazing things I get to experience in, in, in writing sermons is, is how, it, how it works for me. And so it, depending on um, the series we're doing and where we are, sometimes I, I know what I'm going to be preaching maybe four or five, six weeks in advance. Sometimes I know what I'm going to be preaching eight, nine months in advance. It just kind of depends. So usually I'll lay out a series and I'll, I'll know the passages that are coming. And a lot of times I just, you know, I get to kind of read it and kind of store it in my mind. And as I go through my day, my week, and sometimes months at a time because I know what's coming, I get a chance to dwell on scripture and have God speak to me and, and then usually the week that uh, I'm going to preach a sermon so and it, this is not going to be a typical week because of Christmas Eve but typically um, I would all day today between services be reading the passage for next week and Tonight, um, I'll begin to just kind of break down the passage and think it through and pray it through, and then I'll take time to read commentaries and books and what other people who are way smarter than me have learned from the passage, and I do a lot of writing and editing and just days of pondering and thinking about it. And, and here's something that I've learned. I've learned that the, the best stuff that I learn from a passage is not usually the first stuff I learn. It's not the stuff I figured out Sunday night or Monday. Usually the best stuff comes on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Sometimes, and I don't want it to because it's so late in the week, sometimes it doesn't come until Saturday in the afternoon. You know, just that as, and it, and it can be random. I can be driving down the road. I could be going for a run, just meditating, praying, maybe having a conversation with someone. But this really, in my mind, backs up what Scripture says, that when we give the word time, when we, when we dwell on it, not just move on, but dwell on it, meditate on it, ponder it. And, and I always look back, uh, writing sermons, and I'm always so amazed at the way that God takes, he takes time, and then he unfolds his word. And, and here's, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think there's any shortcut. I don't think there's any other way to get it. And when we just move on, 
I think we often miss the, the manifold truth of God, the depth of it. It says that she pondered. It uses another word. It says that, that she treasured these words. That word treasure means to, to keep something alive or to savor it. So again, it's just another way of thinking about it, to keep something alive, right? It means that you keep thinking about it or to savor something. It means you, you taste something. Instead of just like moving on, what's the next thing? You just kind of, you, you, you let it kind of sink in for a while and you, you enjoy it. So what it's saying is Mary doesn't just, she doesn't just hear the message. She takes it in. She, she lets it sink down into her, her soul. She holds on to it. She keeps thinking about it. And then when no, most of us are done thinking about it, she keeps thinking about it some more. And she considers it. In Psalm 119, it tells us this, your word, speaking to God, your word have I treasured. There's that word, have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. One commentator wrote this. He said, it means in a sense, and I love this idea. He said, it means in a sense, preaching to myself, reminding myself of the preciousness, the value, the wonder, and the power of the particular truth that I'm treasuring at that moment. I think about it. A month ago, I was talking about meditating on the word, which is another way of thinking uh, about pondering and, and treasuring. And after the sermon, somebody came up and asked, like, how exactly do you meditate on scripture? Like, is it this weird secret? Do you have to sit on the ground under a tree in a weird pose? And how do you, how do you meditate on scripture? And so, I, but I had to think about it for a minute because you know, the first part is just getting some scripture into your head. And so for me, it, it usually involves just reading a, usually a verse, and I'm not great at, at memorizing stuff, so I'll read a verse and read it and read it. And then a lot of times I'll just kind of memorize it in general, maybe not word for word, but especially maybe the key words and the flow of it. And then once I have it in my head, I can just kind of take it with me. And so when I'm driving down the road, I can think about it. When I'm doing stuff during the day, I can think about it. But I kind of have to make the choice, right? We, we always get to choose what we're thinking about. So I'll, I'll make the choice as I go through the day to keep thinking about it, to keep, to keep dwelling on it. But here's the thing I hadn't really thought about as we were talking. I, I realized a big part of meditating, if this makes sense, is it's a lot about asking questions. Um, and that's what I do. As I think about it, I'll think to myself, um, how does this verse fit into the rest of Scripture? What does the rest of the Bible have to say that kind of fills it out for me? If I really believed this verse, how would it change the way I think about something? Or how would it change the way I feel about something that I'm you know, feeling towards today? Or how would it change a decision that I'm going to make this afternoon? Or how would it change a, a relationship, my, my marriage, my relationship with my kids or with other people? How would it change my attitude or my finances or my, my stress level? How would it change the way I'm praying about something today? How would it change my schedule? And what I find is it's in the asking of those questions and the dwelling of those questions where somehow the Spirit really begins to speak and bring the Word alive in my life. And so we listen to God's Word. We need to be those who listen to the Word and listen to it deeply. And so the angels say, to the shepherds. This, they speak, they, they give the gospel, and they dwell on it, and Mary, Mary dwells on it. And in that gospel that is delivered, there is what we might call God's, God's peace plan. In verse 14 is one of the best-known Christmas texts. People who have never been to church and never read the Bible will recognize Luke 2, 14, where it says, glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace, 
goodwill toward men. Now this is the King James here, and, and commentators have noted that it, it seems to say, or seems to imply, that Christmas means everyone in the world will have peace through Christ. It's interesting that more modern translations like the NIV, the New American Standard, and here the ESV, uh, put it this way, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And of course, there are raging debates about which translation is correct and, and what does it mean. And I, I think really to get to the bottom of it, you have to ask yourself the question, what is peace? What does it mean? What does the Bible mean by peace? So when we read about peace in the Bible, right, we understand that peace in the Bible is not, uh, it's not life that lacks uh, problems. It's, it, peace is not describing a life where there are no outside sources of, of anxiety and, and stress and where everything is going great. That's not what peace is in the Bible. Peace in the Bible understands that we live in a crazy world, in a stressed out, anxious world. It's not about a lack of anxiety and stress around us. In fact, peace in the Bible has a kind of a big scope to it. It usually means the end of hostility or, or warfare or conflict. And what the Bible teaches is that the foundation of all possible peace that we could experience always begins with peace with God. That the human heart, as we talked about last week, wants to be king. That when God comes to us with his claims of sovereignty, of the right to rule over our lives, as we said last week, when Jesus was born and he was recognized as a king, and many people found that threatening. But this is the idea here. When God comes and claims sovereignty over us, we push back. And there is enmity with God. There is strife. There is no peace. This is the way the human heart is. And yet our society continues to tell us that the path to peace in our world is through what we might call self-determination, uh, you know, self-realization, or as we say in my family, we like to say it's just the philosophy of you do you. You ever hear that? So in our, in our family, we're always saying, oh, well, you do you, right? Your truth is your truth. Right? Your reality is your reality. Your values are your values. Isn't this what our culture teaches us? You do you. Whatever is right for you, then you do that. But inevitably, the result is this. When my self-determination conflicts with your self-determination, when your self-determination conflicts with the self-determination of the person sitting next to you, and you can be guaranteed that it will happen at times, then you have conflict. And what we note here is this, that ho it's hostility with God that always leads to hostility with others. That before we can have a horizontal peace with other people, we need to have that vertical peace with God. The proclamation of Christmas as it says in one song, is this, God and sinners reconciled. And in Romans 5, it talks about this, that, that Jesus became one of us, that, that he lived in a body like ours, that, that he experienced what we experience in life, that he lived life the way it was intended to be lived, a, a holy life, a righteous life, that he was at perfect peace with God that he died for our sin, and that he became the mediator, if you will, the reconciler between us and God. Through the body of Christ, the work of Christ, we could be brought together with God. We could have peace with God. How do we have that peace with God for ourselves? First, we recognize that there's been a conflict. 
we recognize, we, we confess. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We confess really two things, that we are sinners and that God is good and that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. This is the message of Christmas, that God has given to us a Savior, one who has come to save us from our sin. And so it requires that we accept God's peace. We accept that peace that comes through Jesus. It's, it's grace. It's a gift. It's not by works. We can't earn it. And as those who have received the peace of God, that like the shepherds, then we go out and we proclaim that peace is possible, not just for us, but for people in our household and for people in our society. And this is the way that, that peace breaks out on the earth as we individually have peace with God. And then lastly, what we find in the passage is this. And we've kind of come full circle. We put it this way. Don't be afraid, but behold. What are we beholding here? We're beholding the gospel. That is that we listen well to the gospel. So in the, in the Bible, divine encounters with angels tended to create fear on the part of those humans who were involved in the story. And in verse 10, going back to the beginning of the story, we read this. And the angel said to them, fear not. So they are very much fearful. They are very much afraid of this, this awesome creature. And he says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So there's good news. He says, behold, listen to, ponder, treasure this good news that the angel is bringing. What's the good news? Well, we have to start with the bad news. And the bad news is we can go all the way back to Genesis 3, and we could see that God had a plan for us. God had a plan for humanity that we would live in, in perfect harmony, in perfect peace with God. But then humans chose to resist God, to resist his kingship, his, his sovereignty, his lordship over their lives. And they pushed back on God, and when they pushed back on God and they, they sinned, it broke the relationship. And one of the results of a broken relationship with God is that humanity became filled with fear. In fact, the first thing they did is when they heard God coming through the garden, they hid from him. They were suddenly afraid of him. And this is what happens. Sin brings fear, a fear of God. It brings a fear of judgment, a fear that when this life is over, we may stand before God and, and, and be found guilty. And that's, by the way, that's a rational fear. That we have a fear of death. People wonder, they're afraid of death. What happens after death? There's a free, fear of rejection being rejected by God, being rejected by others. There's a fear of circumstances that, of course, we can't control. There's a fear of not being good enough for God or the people around us. There's a fear of not having enough of the necessities in life. Many people are afraid. What will I eat? What will I drink? Where will I live? Jesus knew this. That's why he talked about it quite a bit. It's part of the fear because we no longer trust God to take care of us. So we're afraid. There's a fear of the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next decade holds. There's anxiety and there's stress. See, the serpent's lie was this. He said, don't let anyone else tell you how to live or what you need to do. Only you know what's best for you. Right? So you do you. But if you need to be in control of your life to have peace, if you need to be in control of your world, if you need to be calling the shots, then you understand that you will never ever be at peace because what do you really control well i would argue you control your attitude right I, i'll give you that much you get to kind of choose how you feel and how you respond but what else do you really control 
Do you control other people? Right? For those of you who are married, do you control your spouse? Who is there in your world who has more of an impact on you than your spouse? Do you control your spouse? For those of you who are parents, do you control your children? Parents are like, right? There's no such thing as control, only the illusion of control when it comes to your kids. Isn't that true? Right? Do you control your circumstances? Absolutely not. You could walk out of this room and things could happen and that you have no control over. Do you control the economy? Absolutely not, and yet that has a big impact on your life. Do you control your job? I mean, you can go and do your best, but do you control your job? Do you control the people around you who make decisions? Do you control, there, there are people in our world that don't even know you that are going to be making decisions this week with, that will impact you. You have no control over that. We obviously don't control the weather, uh, right? We don't control illness. I know a lot of people this week who have the flu, Nobody wanted the flu. Nobody's like, yeah, that was, I'm in control. And so, right? I, I mean, nothing makes you feel out of control like the flu. Isn't that true? Right? It should be a good illustration to us. And, and how many of us control how people drive through the roundabouts? Like, none of us, right? It's, it's dangerous. It's a madhouse out there. The angel says, behold, behold. The angel was telling these fearful shepherds. As one writer put it, do not be fearing, be perceiving for I am telling you the gospel. I'm telling you the good news. What he's saying is this. If you behold the gospel, if you behold, then you won't be afraid. Or as another writer put it, to the degree that you truly behold or consider the gospel, gaze at the gospel, ponder, internalize, rejoice in, and believe the gospel, to that degree, the fears of your life will be relieved. And so what is the gospel? Well, it's, it's good news. What is the good news? Well, here it's very simple. God has given to us a savior. A savior has been born to us. One who would save us from our sin. And at Christmas time, we celebrate this, this infant, this baby boy. This, this infant is Christ the Lord. He is Lord. He is, he is God. He is e eternal Yes, he was born, but, but he pre-existed. He'd never had a beginning. And as Philippians says, he changed his form. But he is eternal. Right. This is God who is, is holy. He has this idea of completely separate, completely other, of, of morally pure and perfect. He is sovereign, this child. He is omnipotent. That is all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He is immutable never changes. And he has conquered. He has conquered sin and he has conquered death. Could I just suggest to you that maybe that's the best news that we could ever hear? That someone has conquered our, our sin? That someone has conquered death? And that he can conquer our fear if we will just trust him? If we will behold? So how do we do that? How do we Behold, I don't, I don't want this just to be a message, right, where, where you leave and then you go home and by the time noon rolls around tomorrow, you are stressed again and you are worried, right? Sounds like a great introduction to Christmas Eve and Christmas, doesn't it? How can we behold? So I want to give you just a couple of very simple suggestions. It's not rocket science. It's stuff I do. It's stuff I've found helps a lot. But one of the ways that we behold the gospel is we 
read the gospel. We read about Jesus. This is a, a great week to do that. You can read in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and in Matthew and read about the birth, uh, the incarnation. There's, there's enough stuff in those chapters to blow your mind for the rest of the week. As we think about God becoming flesh, had some fun conversations this morning with people like, how could Jesus be mutable? How does that work? Those are great things to think about. To, to, to dwell on. So feed your mind with God's word. That would be my encouragement to you this week. This week, the week of Christmas, fill your mind each day with the word of God. Read about Jesus. Read about the good news. Here's the second thing then. Don't just read it, but take some time each day this week to ponder. Take a few minutes to shut out the world, to turn everything off, right? To put the clothes sign out and, and to dwell on what you read, to, to dwell on it, to, to think about it, to ask questions, right? What does the birth of Christ mean for my life? What does the birth of Jesus, what does it have to do with my day today? What does it have to do with my parenting? What does it have to do with my marriage or the way I treat my parents or my abilities? What does the birth of Christ have to do with how I respond to the opportunities that God's going to give me this week? How, what does that have to do with my education? What does it have to do with my vocation? What does it have to do with my neighborhood and my thoughts? What does it have to do with that? To ask those questions, to dwell on these things, to write them down, to dig down deep, not just to read it and move on, but to take some time this week. I'm giving you permission to dwell, right? So if you're at home this week and you're in the living room, moms, and you're reading and the kids are like, what's for dinner? Just say, I'm dwelling. Leave me alone, okay? So Pastor Bob gave me permission. Here's the third thing. Preach the gospel to yourself. So I love this. I read this this week. This idea of when you're afraid, remind yourself of the gospel, right? When you're feeling anxious this week, oh no, what about shopping and this and that? Remind yourself of the gospel. When you're feeling weak, when you're feeling needy, when you're feeling defeated, when you're feeling rejected, remind yourself of the gospel that you are in Christ. That who you are, your worth, your value is not determined by the things you do, by how you live out Christmas week, by the great parties you do or don't give or the great gifts you do or don't give. It's found in Christ. Remind yourself of who you are in him. Preach the gospel to yourself. And, and lastly, talk about it with other people. Talk about it. That's what the shepherds did, right? They go out and they tell other people what they've seen and what they have heard. They share it with people they've never even met before. Certainly, we can share it this week with family. We can talk about the gospel with friends, with believers, with even unbelievers. This is a very unique, this week is very unique in all uh, the, the rest of the calendar, right? It's the one holiday that's left that still has in the secular world a little bit of Christ left in it. It's been said that there are really two Christmases. There's the secular one and there's the, the, the holy one, isn't there? There's like the holiday and the holy day. But there's still some of the holy in the holiday. And it's a great time for us to talk about that with other people. And let other people encourage you with the gospel too. At Christmas, God did not merely write to us about himself. Right? He wrote himself into our history, into our timeline. He came into our world as Jesus Christ to save us. He is a savior. And so the angel says, behold, Behold, look at what God did at Christmas. Behold that. And to the degree that you behold it, 
to the degree that you grasp it, that you treasure it, that you ponder it in your heart, to that degree, your fears will start to diminish. And so the angel says, fear not. Behold. Behold the Savior. Behold the gospel. Behold the good news. Let me pray for us.